influencers. Let's get bouge. Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. It's Abe Thompson. And we are live on a Friday night at half past seven. Welcome to episode 180 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. I'm your host, Aid Thompson. Uh, you're very welcome here. Pull up a pew, grab yourself a beer uh, as we delve into this week's news, politics, dystopia and shit. Uh, if it's your first time joining us on the podcast, um, uh, what we usually do, right? So I, I do a Wednesday show, which is a solo show, which is where I just rant and rail and ridicule uh i don't know politics in general uh tories i try to make sense of the senseless guys um and then on friday night i invite a guest on um to help me put the world to rights and this week i'm very very honored to uh, to be joined by my guest uh, this evening uh you might have seen him uh and heard him on uh, radio television he's a comedy veteran he's uh he's a musician he's an author and uh, yeah, and a, a pretty solid stand-up comedian. Also, uh, please welcome to the show, Mitch Ben. Woo! Hello, Aid. Hello. How you doing, man? How's your week been? Uh busy, which I, I think is good. Um, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having quite a good time though because uh, I'm well, I'm in a newish relationship. We've been together for about eight months. But uh, one thing which uh, my, my new better half, newish better half, Kathy is doing is she's a really kind of um, committed, like gig goer and show goer. She goes to a lot of things, and that's a habit I never really developed because I've been doing stand up comedy since I was twenty one, and yeah. that was over 30 years ago now right. so um i you know used to be busy like four or five nights a week so on the times i wasn't gigging i would just sit down in front of the tv so i never i've not ever really got into the habit of being an audience member you know and uh kathy's moment because i've kind of after lockdown I've, 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 I've cut my live comedy stuff right down um i'm still touring under my own name you know i'm still doing festivals and stuff but as regards club gigs I'm, I'm not really doing as many of those as i did prior to lockdown largely because i discovered during lockdown that i actually got by okay without them so i thought well okay i don't think i necessarily want to hurl myself back into that as yeah much, because it's a bit old for you know apart from anything else when you get to my kind of age you've either gotten famous or give up and uh, I've managed to do neither. So I'm often quite, when I still do mixed bills, I'm often not just the oldest guy on, but I'm the oldest guy by about 25 years. Right, uh, right. <laughs> so are you, like, so this so week I've you've been, been out and about? Shows, it's what I've been doing. I've been going to lots of shows and gigs and plays and stuff, and it's been brilliant. In particular, last week, I think it's still running. If you can, um, Lenny Henry's doing a monologue called August in Britain, which he wrote himself. And it's about Windrush Gate. Right. Uh, uh, and it's absolutely electrifying. It really is. He's doing it in a tiny little theatre um, called the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush. Right. Uh, just at the end of, of the Oxbridge Road. Uh, so anybody in London, I don't know how sold out it is. I suspect it because it's so it's only it's it's a tiny venue. It's the kind of place I'd be playing, and it's Lenny Henry. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, a um, little in intimate art centre sort of style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's an old library building or something. Um, but the but the piece is absolutely electrifying. It's a real gut punch about Windrush Gate, about what a, a calculated injustice that was, and it really hasn't been properly redressed. You know, it's it, it's still a bit of an open a bit of an open sore. But that's an ex, an electrifying piece. So of all the things I've seen recently, that's the thing which um, yeah. people should 
really try and get to get along to. It's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's like a completely different experience going to, uh, to to gigs and consuming art rather than the tenacity and the obsession that comes with actually like pursuing it yourself. Like you mentioned oh. before about you know you, you're out three, four, five nights a week, double doubling up the gigs sometimes, like going from yeah, this yeah, yeah. little place to that little place and just trying to get as much stage time to test and hone and. Uh, and you almost do kind of you forget the reason that you began to love it in the first place in a weird way, right? It was because that you were a consumer of it. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Uh, and and you and you sort of and it's very very important to keep at least half an eye or, or, or to to try and be able to think yourself into the position of an audience member for your own stuff, because otherwise you can really crawl up your own ass. Yeah. You know? uh, and 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 because I'm, I'm I'm trying to hammer the Edinburgh show together, even as we speak, because that's coming down the tracks like cra- it's, yeah. it's a, one of the things. Because I mean, I've, I mean, I've done Edinburgh. Now, I mean, I've been doing it on and off for over thirty years, you know. But I mean, I've, in particular, I've had a fairly solid run at it this last decade or so. Apart from the couple of years it wasn't really on during COVID. Um, so, like last year was on, and this year I'm on again. And what I do find is, and, and actually, this is kind of what last year's show is about. Because last year's show is called "It's About Time," and it's about the way time has been behaving very oddly for um, for all of us, you know, with with lockdown and everything. And about, and also, man, time really starts to behave oddly when you get into my kind of you know age of life. You know? Yeah. Um, but one thing I do discover is that doing Edinburgh year in, year out has got this awful accelerating effect on time because it's like your entire year consists of two events and the build-up to them, right? Because the minute you get back from Edinburgh, right, it goes dark, it starts raining, it's Halloween, it's Christmas. That seems to take about three weeks, yeah. right? <laughs> and then the minute Christmas is over, I don't know whether people realize that, but basically the minute Christmas is over, you kind of have to decide if you're doing Edinburgh this year. Yeah. Because that's when that all gets decided is in sort of January. And then the sort of the, you know, the jockeying for position of the slots all happens in January and February. The print deadline for the brochure is like March. So you have to decide what you're doing and what it's called by March. And at some point, I suppose you have to sit down, do the books and work out how the fuck you're going to afford to put on an Edinburgh show. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I've never lost money at Edinburgh. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite last year. That's quite a brag. I mean, I thought famously like people lose money at Edinburgh, don't they? That that has become part of the problem is that Mm. that has become so much the received wisdom that, you know, you will get wiped out at Edinburgh, you know, and Mm. you lose eight years, eight grand in a, even in a good year, minimum, minimum, you lose eight grand to the point where a couple of whole generations of comics came down the line without ever, I think, investigating ways of not losing eight grand. Um, do you get oh, do you get like mad entrepreneurial about it? Do you like sell loads of t-shirts and? Oh, I, do, I always do merch. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've, funny enough, I have something I'm actually plugging at the moment is the 25th anniversary reissue of my first ever album. Yeah, uh, because I, uh, I when I when I came down to London in '96. Uh, and sort of became like the cancellation king in 97, you know. Right. Um, but we got my first mobile phone in 97 because, you know, it, 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 you know, it's sort of, there were a lot of um, smallish grassroots it's kind of clubs in London in those days. I think there probably still are. I mean, I don't really spend that much kind of time doing that kind of thing these days, but I think it's all still out there. And I mean, this is the other thing. I do get people ask me, how do you get into comedy? And I say, well, I could tell you how to get into comedy in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> the shit's changed. <laughs> exactly. Tell me how to get into comedy in 2023. It's fucked, man. It's like... I... Well, I've been going for 10 years before YouTube even existed, and now you're getting people having entire careers on YouTube. You know? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Like, So it, when, when I started doing it, which was only like 
12 years ago i, I first yeah. tried it um and then it was still very much in this realm of like yeah you go to open mic nights you yeah. die on your ass slowly yeah. over the space of like six months a year three years you you pluck out little like you cherry pick the bits that worked and then you smush them all together and then you know you end up with a 15 minute set of stuff that doesn't completely suck and gradually you build up your reputation yeah. and your material that was how it worked then but now what i've noticed and i actually feel like i'm a, a beneficiary of this is that you can build your audience primarily firstly on the platform and then take that to the stage whereas before it was like you got to build your audience on the stage and then yeah, you'd end yeah, up in a sitcom or something i guess yeah literally i'm saying you know you've got guys having entire comedy careers on youtube and they, yeah. if they ever actually even bother playing live their first gigs the shepherd's bush empire you know yeah. um, <laughs> but is it any good though like that's the thing i don't know i honestly don't know i mean i've heard because here's the thing one of the things is very difficult for my generation to get his head around is the idea of the sort of the youtube celebrity because my generation we see people doing stuff on youtube there our brains just assume that what we're watching is a demo it's a pitch you know this yeah. is sort of hey entertainment industry here is me this is what i can do pay me money you know but then you think no this is not a pitch this is not a demo this is it yeah this is it because you know they've got like two million subscribers every time they put one of these things up they're making 60 grand you know why are they going to sign to the disney channel yeah you know this thing going to start telling them what they can and can't do and, mm. and, and there's a possibility and you know suddenly you can get fired you know and 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 so we we just always assume that that's kind of a demo that's that's you know you know making your pitch to the industry but no it's bypassing the industry yeah this yeah also gets me back to you know edinburgh which is of course uh, a lot of my friends are not going this year because it, the accommodation in particular has just gone through the roof now part of the reason the cost of accommodation has gone through the roof is local changes to the law in edinburgh which is actually benefiting people who are trying to live in rented accommodation in edinburgh so on the one hand Fair enough. Yeah. On the other hand, it's actually going to make it impossible to sustain the festival because this is something that the fringe office, I think, occasionally need to be reminded of is that you don't put this festival on. Yeah. You yeah. print a brochure and you sell tickets and that's all you do. Yeah. The festival is put on for you by hundreds of performers who rock up every year on their own time and on their own dime to put this show, to put these shows on. Mm. And if it just becomes prohibitively expensive, because, you know, people are, uh, people don't go to Edinburgh to make money, but, you know, they go to Edinburgh to either, you know, road test something that they're going to take out on the road or to try and establish themselves as more than just a, a sort of, you know, a 20-minute club guy in the eyes of the industry. You know, yeah, there are yeah. ways of But if that becomes prohibitively expensive, then you don't have a festival anymore. Yeah. You just don't have one. Because the other thing, which is what, what we matter to this, is... Edinburgh is not the only Edinburgh is not that primary route into the big leagues that it used to be because there are ways now of essentially bypassing the industry. Yeah, now, well, it's like connect directly with your public, and nobody, all the gatekeepers are essentially pricing themselves out of the equation. Yeah, if you can a way of connecting with your public, you can establish something with your public that's an ongoing thing that you are maintaining that they are, you know, absorbing, and it, nobody else is even in the equation. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I absolutely bloody love that because nobody can fire you from your own youtube channel yeah nobody fire you from your own patreon yeah well that's the, that's my sort of uh, attitude to it is like yeah i it 
it sort of maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little bit uh, full of myself here, but I sort of of am of the belief that if I continue with the podcast, if I continue putting out the clips, and it continues to grow at a sort of yeah. self perpetuating rate that it that it has done over the last couple of years, at some point somebody probably will tap me on the shoulder and say, "I love what you're doing. How would you f- like feel about coming to do it for us, and we'll pay you yeah. this figure?" And I feel yeah. really fortunate to be in a position where I'm like, "This isn't even my fucking job. Like I have a job." that pays the bills and the mortgage and everything so i don't need to do this for like lbc or talk tv and i actually prefer it when it's a bit rugged a bit punk rock broadcasting from my shed where i can say fuck shit cunt bollocks you've got nobody breathing down your fucking neck yeah and i think there's a you know i I don't want to sound like a sort of social media consultant to with with this stuff but there's (laughs) there's like an authentic authenticism you know to it Yeah, make so, sure you um, get rid of that middle T, authentic. Yeah. yeah. No, um, but it is, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, ultimately, this is the thing about this is the whole new... Because what everybody's been looking for, essentially, is a way of getting paid for this shit. And the thing is, this is not actually new. There mm. was, you know, uh, the entertainment industry, the media, whatever you want to talk about, it's only ever been the top slice getting paid anyway. You know what I mean? Um, it's always been people doing it for fun, people doing it for shits and giggles. And right at the top, there's a thin layer of people actually making money, you know? Yeah. And then at the top of that, there was a microscopically thin layer of people making the big bucks. Yeah. And that's kind of still the place, even in the new online economy. But it's, you know, it's, it's just there's, there's, you can construct it for yourself more efficiently and i remember having this conversation with a friend of mine many years ago which is just that you only actually need if you have like a hardcore fan following of about 500 people what you need is people who are so into you that they're willing to spend between 50 and 100 quid a year on your shit whatever yeah yeah whether it's records whether it's concert tickets whether it's merch whatever they are so into you that they will spend 50 to 100 quid a year on your shit now if you've got say it's the lower end 50 if you've got a hundred of those then you're making you know five grand a year that's an income stream you're not going to pay the bills with it but it's an income stream say there's a hundred of them now you're making 10 grand a year okay that is an income stream you know and if you've got you know a thousand of them you're actually making money do you know what i mean but you don't actually need the love and affection of the entire general public you are what you need is a decent size but relatively small pocket of really devoted fans yeah and this and is the, and the great thing about the I just finish off mm. the great thing about now is they don't all even have to be in your country i was just going to say the same thing yeah it's like yeah. traditionally these people would have to be commutable to your gigs or yeah, for yeah. you to post the t-shirt too now we're in a situation where and i was just talking to a, a comedian i'm trying to get on in a couple of weeks um who's yeah. based in australia Mm-hmm. Um, and I was saying, look, you know, I can't promise that you coming on my show will sell you many tickets in Melbourne <laughs> or whatever. Yes. But what it will do is expose you to my, you know, mostly domestic UK audience. And reciprocally, yeah, yeah. what I'm looking to do is sort of branch out to a more international audience because, yeah. you know, then you do have like you're not restricted in the same way as yeah. you would be if you're aspiration historically was to get a show on channel four. Oh, you know i, I want to do enough gigs again i get noticed by a producer at channel four and yeah. then i'm you know i'm popular in the uk and i can sell concert tickets well great but now in 2023 yeah we can we can market yeah. out to people in italy or australia or wherever. i also know people who've had that big break mm. capital b capital b yeah and it hasn't come to anything 
Yeah. You know, I've, I've had friends who've had, you know, their own show on Channel 4 or BBC 3 or something, and it's come and it's gone, and they're back on the plantation. You know and what I mean? A, it's a, a, a fuller or higher fall, I think, yeah. and the perception of it being sort of a failure or that you got dropped, I think, yeah, is so does. much more damaging than just stick to your own YouTube thing, grow it modestly, yeah. modestly, you know? Literally, exactly. So the th that's the thing is, the, the the big break ain't what it used to be. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's not the guarantee of anything lasting. You know, it, it, even even indeed it ever was. I mean, but that was the perception, wasn't it? That once you got your own show on Channel Four or BBC Two, as was, you know, then that was it. You were sorted. Really, not the case anymore. Partly because, of course, you know, the terrestrial channels don't have the reach they used to. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, you can actually have your own series on BBC Two, and, and, and not that many people will notice. Yeah. You know, whereas the thing about something like this is, a, you can build it up organically. B, nobody can fire you. I mean, yeah, you could fuck up to the point where you're entire, you're abandoned by your fan base. I mean, that's available to all of us. You know, <laughs> at any given time, we we could always. I mean, I, I tread that line quite often, Mitch. But yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah but think of it time you or i can say or do something and then literally log on to patreon the next day and discover we now have four followers you know yeah uh, <laughs> that, that, that could that's you know that's a risk we take every time we go on twitter you know um yeah. but it's it's you know you, you can't just be fired or just made redundant or just as often happens you know um somebody else takes over the commissioning for whatever channel you're on and because they're the new guy they just reflexively bin everything the old guy liked mm, yeah you know what i mean get that kind of new broom syndrome where somebody comes in and go right i'm in charge now and just trashes everything the last person did because it's what the last person did you know we're not vulnerable to any of that if, if, and that's the great thing i'm only accountable to my audience yeah yeah you know, that's I the big thing yeah, I am accountable to my audience. They are entitled, they are perfectly entitled to desert me for whatever reason at any given minute, but I'm only in, I'm only accountable to them. I'm not accountable to any head of commissioning of blah or line producer of this or, yeah. you know, or, or, or just, you know. Yeah, I heard a, a comedian you know. say something very similar. Uh, an American chap was saying, like, he doesn't really care about if... if Twitter catches fire and and people find mm -hmm. his stuff offensive and they say you know you've got to boycott yeah. this person and he was just like they didn't buy a ticket for the show you know if you buy a ticket to the show and you don't like it and you walk out that's fine that's your right and yeah. if you bought you know the online content or whatever and you were a Patreon and you abandon it fine that's you you having your say but people who don't have any skin in the game that have yeah. never invested in you their yeah. opinion is just noise. And the only reason yeah. it, it t catches fire now is because we have things like social media echo chambers amplifying it and a load of hungry, desperate journalists going like, oh, my God, did you hear what he said? He, he was talking about yeah. you. What do you think about that? Can we get a quote about how offended you are? And Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, something about that I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of myself of um, is that I've been turning down tv things recently because i've just i think finally matured to the level that i know when i'm being stitched up right um you know because the classic example remember a couple of years ago when uh crafty wank had david starkey on his podcast 
And David Starkey was talking about the difference between genocide and slavery. And he said something really clanky, like, well, obviously genocide and slavery are not things because there's blacks everywhere. You know, and, and the thing is, it actually, you know, the point he was making was technically correct in as much as it went, but blacks as a noun is a bit clunky in the 21st century. And, you know, there's there's really better ways of thinking. I mean, the, the, it, Starkey, bless him, he only ever gets in the news when he says something racist. But anyway, or says something which can be construed as racist. And, of course, everybody was up in arms about this because people, I think we're actually, you know, trying to get Grimes prosecuted under some kind of race relations act or something. And the question was, well, is it Grimes' responsibility for what goes on his podcast? And I weighed in stupidly, just on Twitter and everything, with the opinion of, well, actually, yeah, it is. Mm. Because when I was on BBC Radio, all our stuff was going through layers of lawyers. Really? Before it got to air. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The script was getting read by legal, you know what I mean? Before it got to air. And then because ultimately the BBC, as the broadcaster, is responsible for the content it broadcasts. It's not necessarily the guy whose face the words are coming out of. It's the person who's putting it out there in front of the general public is responsible for that content, right? Mm. So I weighed into the opinion, well, actually, yeah, he is, because this is his podcast. He's producing it. He's editing it. He chooses what goes in. So, yeah, you could object to what Starkey said. And, you know, Starkey is responsible for the words that come out of his mouth, but Grimes is responsible for the content of his podcast. Mm. So, yeah, on a, I'm fairly sure, purely on a legal level, that that's um, that that is actually Grimes' responsibility, and I got a phone call from GMB asking me if I'd come on and talk about this, and I said, no, <laughs> but if you don't want to talk about this, you want me to sit opposite Piers Morgan, so Piers Morgan can say, oh, I suppose everybody who disagrees with you is racist. Yeah, that's what you want. It's a sort of I, yeah. I, I actually don't really have an opinion over whether what David Starkey said was racist. I think it was infelicitously worded yeah but i don't really have an opinion of a, whether he is a racist or what he said is racist but that's what you want to talk about isn't it you don't want me to pass the final legal points about who's responsible for the content of a podcast you want me to sit there and let piers morgan say oh i suppose everybody who disagrees with you is racist because that's the kind of tv you fuckers make yeah, it's so, a, you know, it's not a debate so much as a synthetic debate. It's they want exactly. something spicy. Yeah. They want person A and person B to have a little argument so they can cut it up into a little clip, pop it on yeah. Twitter, and then watch that. Yeah. I mean, that's as clear an indication as anything about who's actually in the driving seat. So what we were talking about a minute ago about you know, the, the sort of legacy trajectory that people would go on would start on the stage and graduate to TV. And now yeah. it's like, actually, the content comes first and then maybe you move on to the stage afterwards. But it's mm -hmm. like, like if if what GMB, and they're not the only ones by all means, um, and GB News and, you know, probably Sky to some extent, uh, if what yeah. they're after is sort of clickbaity, quick, spicy clips to draw yeah. people in and take it in adverts that tells you it's not even about the program anymore it's it's all about social media and social media yeah. is king um, so, and, and social media runs on phony controversy yeah yeah and, and so if the controversy isn't there we have to synthesize it so yeah i mean yeah so so that's yeah yeah you're right it is all about clickbait i mean um but you know and 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 uh, twitter is thing um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a horrible feeling I'm going to be the last non-blue tick on Twitter because it's going to take a lot to get me off there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it has, it, it, it's always been a bit poisonous and it's getting more and more poisonous as, 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 
Elon and the Tick Boys take over, you know, mm. where the Tick, there's a dick, you know. I mean, it's like you see any conversation on Twitter right now. <laughs> this is where I have to put my hand up and go, I have a blue tick. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't anymore. I had, because I had a real one. You know, and yes. I liked having a real one. You know, and I really did. And the thing is, it was actually quite a useful thing in terms of verification because, yeah. you know, as our pal Tansky knows only too well, when you fall within certain people's crosshairs, the first thing they do is make a fake profile of you and get it to say all kinds of horrific things. And she's at any given time got about four or five fake profiles saying horrific things. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Possibly because is it three eyes as she spells it with at the end there? Yes. Um, yeah. So right, if you spell it with four eyes, it's very difficult to notice that it's not her. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also there's so so the reason I got my blue tick is yeah. the video length. That that is literally that's the only. Re- I've been tempted by that. I've mm. been, I, I'll confess, I've been tempted by that because. I was always really bloody annoyed that for some reason Femi, hello Femi, gets these eight-minute videos out there, yeah. and I'm limited to two minutes twenty, which is really annoying because most of my most of the videos I actually post are songs, yeah. and it means my song lengths are restricted to two minutes twenty, or indeed two minutes ten if I want to get the Patreon buffer bumper onto the end of it, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that I've found quite restricting. And sometimes I've blown it and I can only put the first bit of the video up on Twitter and have to link it to the YouTube listing. So that I'll confess I've been tempted by, but it's the blue tick has gotten so toxified just in the last month that I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it now. Mm. Just because even that, because well, the thing is, the the only other ones who you can kind of let off the hook are the guys who got more than a million followers and they just never had their blue tick taken away in the first place. But that's I'm right. fairly sure that's illegal, by the way. Because essentially, by imposing the blue tick on everybody cool, whether they wanted it or not, what Elon is doing is essentially it's called passing off in the end in, in, in the advertising industry. Because my manager also managed Bruce Forsyth right. for, for, for his entire career from the 70s onwards. Um, and um, I do know that Ian on a number of occasions has had to sue radio ad agencies for getting somebody in to do the Brucey voice on a radio commercial. Right. Because essentially what you're doing there is laying claim to a celebrity endorsement that hasn't been granted. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, by yeah. By somebody doing a Brucey voice on your advert, you're essentially laying claim to the endorsement of Bruce Forsyth when Bruce Forsyth has not even been consulted about this. Do you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. So essentially by making all the cool people keep their blue ticks, Elon is essentially going, look at all these cool people who are signing up to my Twitter Blue. And so it's like, no, the fuck it happened. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so, so I'm, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if one of them sues him over that. But, but well, you're the, absolutely right. The verification thing is, is a strange well, one because my understanding of it is that they only introduced verification or verified accounts before because mm-hmm. Twitter was getting sued by someone who said, look, you should do more. If somebody says that uh, they are Aid Thompson and I made Thompson, you as the service provider, as a platform, you need to take steps and and have some responsibility here to protect people like me and other people who are going to get conned by this person who they think is me, asking them to send them Patreon money or, you know, whatever the case may be. So they introduced this facility, this feature, to allow people to verify themselves if they were prominent, if they were likely to be aped in in some fashion. Now they've removed that, I cannot believe that it will be long before somebody gets uh misrepresented and sues twitter again like it just seems like but it's 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 bloody ridiculous because the thing is what somebody else could do right now 
and you know by saying this i'm kind of inviting it if somebody else could start a profile with a photo of me call it mitch ben pay the eight bucks and now they've got the blue tick yes yeah you know what I mean? but the, the stupid thing is is it's like this is the guy who's meant to be like the leading scientific and business mind of our generation but he starts charging money for something at the precise moment he made it worthless yeah now, that, there's, there's, <laughs> with other people's yeah. money as well everyone's with like oh I mean, elon yeah. elon bought twitter because he's such a fucking high rolling big baller like no he borrowed yeah. a shit ton of like saudi money bought yeah, this yeah. thing tanked the value in it tanked the value in it yeah but but and then also starts charging for something at the precise moment he makes it worthless i mean yeah you know the, the whole point about the blue tick was it was worth something because you couldn't buy it that was mm. why it was worth something now you make it, you know, and, and, and more the point, because of most of, you know, present company accepted, most of the people who went ahead and bought it are, let's be honest, assholes. Um, it does seem to be a certain type of oh, commenter. You look at any, any conversation on Twitter right now, the guy who weighs in with the stupidest opinion will have a blue tick. Yeah. Guarantee you. The guy who weighs in, and it will be a guy. Yeah invariably it'll be a bloke the guy who weighs in with the stupidest opinion in any given conversation will have a blue tick and it's usually the first blue tick into the thread yeah it's like the, the downing street what, crash what, yesterday what, when pay him, you know. when when the car crashed into the gates and uh yeah. at downing street and it was all over the news and the first comment i saw underneath was a paid for blue tick by a guy saying i bet it was a pure blood i'm like fucking oh, <laughs> Like, how is it? What's this got to do with vaccines and like jabs? Where has this come from? You click what on the is account. Pure blood is a is a pure blood somebody who hasn't been vaccinated. Is I think it's a it's a pure blood is someone yeah who has been vaccinated. In who hasn't Potter been books, in the Potter books? It's somebody with no muggles in their family. It's like... <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the last time I was encountered the phrase anywhere. But you know, um... yeah. Well, it's been it's been reappropriated now as something to do with like vax and jabs and stuff. But yes, uh, utterly ridiculous. Let's let's talk a little bit about the news actually. So we were probably sure that's kind of why we're here. Yeah. Um, what happens when you get me on? I'm afraid. Eh? No, no, it's good. It's good to have a talker. <laughs> uh on sometimes do you ever have you ever been on the podcast where the other person on there is like you know quite introverted yeah yeah it's like well the thing is i am quite introverted in most respects i mean this is one because i've been doing those ngl questions and i was getting bombarded some of them are quite interesting well i said you know an extrovert to introvert so i'm fairly sure i'm what's called an extroverted introvert which is that i'm a natural performer i have literally no concept of stage fright you know, right right you know, I've got the kind of brain that thinks that talking in front of 2,000 people is 10 times as much fun as talking in front of 200. You know what I mean? Right. I have, but the bit of your brain that gets stage fright, I just never developed that lobe. It's just oh, not man, there. you're lucky. But, but what? yeah, exactly. That's not a boast. If anything, it's an admission. It's a level I've never had to test myself on because I just don't get stage fright. But by the same token, um, I'm ridiculously awkward in social situations and given half the choice, you know, until, you know, this new girlfriend started dragging me out to stuff, I would spend every minute I wasn't on stage basically at home by myself. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and this, you know, because I think, uh, you know, I am in the process of getting diagnosed for autism, uh, which is long overdue. Um, but, yeah, so, it's a, look, I managed to steer the fucking conversation back to me. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> yeah. said, let's stop talking about you. And I'm like, no, let's talk some more about me. So, yeah, but, yeah right, I, I shall shut up and you do the news. Tell okay, <laughs> let's do this. Uh, let's get into it. So um, what's the big news at the moment? So the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, is saying he's quite comfortable with Britain sliding into recession if it brings down inflation, which I thought was quite <laughs> interesting. It's like, I mean, it's basically like between the Chancellor and the Bank of England at the moment, it feels like both of them have just taken their hands off the wheel. They're both like, well, you know, recession's going to happen. Then the Bank of England are like, well, you know, there's, there's nothing we can do other than, you know, take your fucking house away from you. <laughs> like, just, well, just let it happen. But the thing is, yeah, it's become this sort of gouge economy, this gouge downwards economy, whereby everybody's getting squeezed. So everybody is gouging the people down below them on the food chain. Yeah. So what we've decided is that, Everything now has to be paid for and underwritten by the poorest members of society. Yes. The, yeah. You know, the debt is being pushed down and down and down. You know, the, the wholesalers, you know, the suppliers are gouging the wholesalers. So the wholesalers are gouging the retailers. So the retailers are gouging the customers. And ultimately, everything is getting pushed down and down and down until suddenly they've decided that everything now has to be subsidized by the people who are already broke. Now, I'm yeah. no economist, but that doesn't feel very sustainable to me. No, especially when we haven't really ever recovered from the 2008 crash like we've been through the, the decade of austerity we've made people poorer we've given them less local services that they can rely on we've slashed their universal credit we've uh, sprung up food banks on every street corner we're not in a position where they recovered from that crash and now we're sort of taking a little bit away from them what we're actually doing is taking already broke hungry yeah. miserable people and making them even more miserable like exactly, because somehow we've decided on the one hand we decided you know there is no magic money tree but apparently the poor are an inexhaustible source of funds yeah yeah, yeah. and, and it, it's not going to happen you know that rather smug little thing that people trot on of course the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money yeah yes well the problem with capitalism is eventually other people run out of money yeah yeah <laughs> that's, that's, that's but you're trouble. right though like i mean yeah, everything reply everything depends on having a client base that are going to keep on purchasing your shit yeah but your client base can't keep purchasing your shit if they're literally destitute yeah and this is we, we seem to decided that the way you know that the way forward is to just drive the already hard up into abject destitution and then just keep billing them yeah. Just keep it because, oh, they'll find it from somewhere. No, they won't. Mm. And, you know, a lot of them are probably going to kill themselves. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. you know this yeah. is what, you know, the, the, the mental health of this country is death spiraling. And, you know, quite literally in a lot of cases. And you can't keep doing this. You can't just keep pushing the financial burden of sustaining the society down and down and down and down and have it underwritten by people who are already broke. It's not going to work. Mm. It's well, just not going to work. This, the situation as, as it is now and, and and it will become in the next sort of six months or a year is so in after the 2008 crash, things got harder in the sense that public services that people were reliant on began to get cut back. Yeah. Uh, dole money was slashed. Um, uh, taxes began to go up to pay the bill. Um, mm -hmm. G, like debt to GDP began to climb. And so taxes had to, to like a huge chunk of our tax money. Everyone's always like, oh, there's no magic money tree or like, what does all the money go? It goes on fucking debt, like so much yeah. money paying on interest payments to bondholders and so on. And so 
we're now in a situation where people don't like the, the the lower like the working class and the underclass of society are now being pushed further and further even away from like having the slashed public services and like ideas like the bedroom tax like like yeah. pushing more people into tighter spaces actually now what we're going to get to with mortgages being this high and subsequently rents being this high is people are going to move out of their private rental spaces and social housing and you're going to start seeing people move into their cars and tents like that's yeah. where it's going to get to soon yeah, no, people are going to live in vans absolutely um and uh, or or you know or i don't know what um maybe something along the lines of you know those cooperative squats that started appearing in all the industrial buildings in the 70s you know something like yeah. that you, you're absolutely right people are being forced off the bottom rung of the ladder you know people mm. are being forced down into essentially an economic bracket that doesn't theoretically exist yeah uh, and and they're going to have to define it for themselves and it's just not bloody sustainable and and quite i mean this is you know the, it's, the, the, it's the... so cruel though isn't it mitch because it's like so if like i did a tiktok on this yesterday about how like this is the fundamental problem with like western liberal capitalism is like yeah. when you get in a, in a spiral like this with inflation it's like like you were alluding to a minute ago so uh, gas prices go up and then the people yeah. that ship the tankers go like well, you know, there's nothing I can do. I'm going to increase my prices. They sell yeah. it on to this guy. And then this guy goes, oh, gas has got to be expensive. I'm going to have to increase my prices. Then that gets down to the IBMs yeah. and the Cisco's and the Tesco's and all like big head offices. And they'll be like, oh, it's costing so much to run the building. Keep the aircon running and the heaters over yeah. here. We're going to have to increase our prices. And it works its way down the food chain, further down yeah. the food chain until it gets to the cost of food. And then it's yes. like, well, we're going to have to increase the cost of food because our prices have gone up and then it gets down to the working class and this underclass and then they walk yep. into their manager's office and they go well there's nothing i can do <laughs> like i'm you know everything's getting more expensive i'm gonna have to increase my prices so can i have a pay rise please and then they're like fuck, fuck off, off. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would drive up inflation yes, yes. everything <laughs> else is fine to increase but when yeah, you exactly. go into I mean, your... You, I heard your podcast from last week where you said that your mortgage is about to double. Now, how does that not count as inflation? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? For some reason, that doesn't count as inflation. It's like... But the fact that the price of a mortgage has literally tripled in, in about the... In, in, you know. And mm. this, you know, ultimately, I think, is where, they get, where it will bite them on the ass, uh, is that, you know, they're, they're starting to punish the... You know, I'm thinking of the Conservatives now. They're starting to punish, essentially because the sheer level of cruelty that's that, that's, that's being thrown around now, that you, you can't really exempt anybody from it as a sort of a... Uh, as a sort of a matter of political, um, you know... Um, I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about, but you know you can't you can't exempt your own base from it anything anymore because it's just too much of it going around. Yeah. So their own base is going to take it in the ass as hard as anybody else. Well, this you is know, why the they're so unutterably the fucked. Are being punished, and you know, for for you know, the homeowners are being literally punished right now. And that was meant to be the great aspiration of the of you know of of, of Tory societies make us all stakeholders, make us all homeholders. You know, and those are the people who are being punished right now. If anything, just as hard. Mm. as you know the, the, the people in social housing well there's you know, been they, there's been you know. big like studies about this where if you give people home ownership if they have that stake in society they actually tend to be 
significantly more settled, less likely to riot, less yes. volatile, less divisive. And this is one of the things that, you know, I, I guess Thatcher probably read up on and bought into. She was like, you know, I can probably maintain my grip on power if I just keep everyone <laughs> relatively sound. I mean, I'm not sure it totally worked out with the mines and everything, but... Yeah. Um, but you can... Under there, is, there is a principle at play there. Yeah. Even if it's one which doesn't actually work that well and not something which nobody... Not necessarily everybody would subscribe to, but the idea of a stakeholder society, the idea that you give people a stake in society, you make people feel involved in society and that they are you know, a part of the process and an active part of the process rather than just a sort of a dumb recipient of the process. Yeah. And that, you know, that increases engagement, blah, 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 blah. You can see, you see that there is a principle at work there. I don't think that's what we're looking at right now. I think what we're looking at right now is just A, greed, and B, running out of ideas. I think, yes. So, you know, but, um, but also, like, it's it's... Like our situation in Britain over the last like twenty years with the housing crisis just slowly just yeah. crescendoing into this. Like I mean, there's pretty much no way back now. At some point, there will be a gigantic correction, and yes. house prices will come down because there just won't be anybody to buy them at the level that they are, um, other than banks. Maybe that's the plan. I don't know. But it's anyway. It's also true over in the US. Like home ownership has gradually become it's gone further and further out of reach for everyday people i don't think it's a coincidence that as people no longer have that stake in society as they do feel more brittle um uh less invested um you know less like I, I'm trying to think of the right way to to articulate this, but like, if you have they're a mortgage, if, less integrated, they feel less that like, well, like they don't feel like stakeholders. Yeah, still, but they just feel sort of like more at risk. Like if you're in a private rental agreement and you know that at any moment your private landlord could go, yeah, I want the fucking house back, get your shit and get out. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Then then you feel brittle, you feel at risk, and maybe you are more likely to riot. And I think as home ownership has disappeared for a, a huge chunk of people. Yeah. You know, maybe there is something psychological in that, that you want to feel in control. And so you jump on Twitter and this is a way for me to feel like I am. Well, just, certainly you know? it's, it's you know, something, a, a topic of conversation comes around a lot is that essentially that whole thing that people tend to get more conservative as they get older isn't happening for my generation. And no, life. yeah. You know, bang in the middle of Gen X. I was born in 1970, you know what I mean? But the Gen Xs, the Millennials and the Gen Zs, we'll never, we, we, we'll be 20 years before we find out about the Gen Zs. But the Millennials are all turning 40. The Millennials are all, you know, my generation, we're in our 50s and 60s now. We're supposed to be properly Tory by now. You know, the Millennials are turning 40 and they're meant to be starting to get a bit impatient with socialism a bit. But, but the difference is, is from my generation onwards, we never became stakeholders. We never became property owners. We never became um, established in, you know, comfortably settled in a proper career. Yeah. You know, that, that didn't happen for us. Most of us are still renting. Most of us are still, you know, in the gig economy. Even those of us with white-collar jobs who could be out on our ass in any minute. So we never became sort of comfortably off. Yeah. Even those of us with money aren't comfortably off because the money is random. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and comes and goes in fits and starts. So that kind of middle-aged... That kind of middle-aged comfort, that kind of middle-aged smugness has never set in in the Gen Xs and below. And this is a real demographic issue for the Conservatives going forward. Because their because voters they, keep they, dying. They, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're essentially, they're, they're basically, you know, you're absolutely right. Their base is dying off. 
Yeah. Because it's only the boomers. The boomers are the last generation that this worked for. And the boomers are in their seventies now. Yeah. You know, the boomers gone die. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and, you're and, right. And it's it's, in 10 years, there's not going to be that many boomers left. The, you know, my generation, the Gen Xs, we're going to be the retirees who are supposed to be propping up the Conservative Party. And they're, they're, but the thing is, most of us won't be fucking retired yeah, because we won't be able to afford to retire. Most of my generation are going to work into the grave. Yeah. Whether because, you know, we because, you know, we drop dead of stress age. But isn't that inspiring, oh, yeah. Mitch? Because like well, I, I read this article the other week around the coronation time. I'm sure it was nothing to do with like Buckingham Palace sanctioned propaganda or anything. But I'm, I'm sure that uh, it was it was about King Charles. And it said, you know, King Charles is an example to us all because he's still out there working in his 70s. So you well, could find working. motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Is it a hard day's work cutting that ribbon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Having your um, ass wiped. So, well, I mean, this is again is something I, I, I said in my column. In the, uh, plug my column. I write a weekly column in the New European. Uh, yeah. The other. Great, but, so, great publication. Like, yeah. I, I have a horrible feeling that Charles and whichever, you know, gang of Grima worm tongues he's got advising him at the moment have made a serious miscalculation, which is they looked at things like. Uh, the Golden Jubilee, the Diamond Jubilee, and then the Queen's funeral. And they thought, wow, look at the amazing respect there is for the crown out there in the country. It wasn't for the crown, mate. It was for her. Yeah. It was personal. It was personal affection and loyalty to her. And you don't get to inherit that along with everything else. Yeah. You know, that was a personal loyalty that people felt to her, not to the institution, not to the family, not to the monarchy as a concept. It was to that old lady. Mm. And she's gone now. Yeah, and yeah. You don't get to inherit the love that people had for her along with all her houses and jewels. This is like, I've been saying this for about 10 years, man, like that once she dies, and obviously now that has happened, uh, yeah. but I was like, they have an, like one option, one opportunity to effectively save the monarchy. Yeah. Uh, and that is to... Dial it down to Norway levels? It, I was going to say to circumvent... To, yeah. to go around Charles and just make William and Kate king and queen because <laughs> yeah. uh, they were they're this sort of younger generation. Um, you could make a case that they are more idealistic, that they'd have more vision for the future of the monarchy. Yeah. They're more popular, I think, than he is. I think this idea that he, you know, look, obviously it's, it's the nature of a monarchy that he inherits, you know, this idea that he goes straight into that role and then expects to have the same love and adulation as his mother did, I think is mm -hmm. a bit fanciful. He's not that popular. He does come off as grumpy. People don't really warm to him in the same way. Now I think they've actually left it too late, firstly, because he is king. But secondly, I don't yeah. think William and Kate are as popular now amongst um, amongst the younger generations. I think they warm no. more to Harry and Meghan. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, I'm absolutely team Harry on all this. I remember thinking back in 97, watching Diana's funeral and seeing those two little lads behind the coffin. I remember thinking, literally thinking to myself, one of them's going to fuck off. Yeah. One of those two, I don't know which, but one of them is going to be at some, you know, is going to be grown up, is going to be in his th late 20s or 30s or something. He's going to look at all this and think, you know what? Fuck all this. I'm going to LA and I'm starting a band. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it took longer and it wasn't quite like that, but I was born out in there. I remember thinking one of these is going to go, what the fuck does any of this shit mean? You know? Yeah. And ultimately realize that they've got 
And because here's the thing, what people don't really get is that what Harry's got that he can essentially parlay for the rest of his life is something you cannot take away from him, and that's profile. Yeah. But that's, you know, a, you, you know, gifted a curse. You can him off the civil list, you can remove his security detail, but what you can't do is make him not famous. Yeah. And popular uh, and seen as a sort of, I mean, it's, it's such a bizarre turn of events that somebody as privileged and gilded as, as he and his life has always been. It, it's weird that he could now be seen as a sort of underdog, isn't it? And yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, in, in terms of the royal family, absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, and, and no, it's, 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 it's quite extraordinary. But the, um, yeah, the, the, the whole, uh, oof, I mean, yeah, it's, it's I'm, do you think we'll see a referendum about the monarchy in the next like, 25 years? Well, no, 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 probably not in my lifetime. I don't know. Don't you think? I, I, I wouldn't rule I, it out. I'm rather hoping that people have gone off referendums because they're actually generally a bit of a bad idea. I mean, because the thing about, here's the thing about, you know, because obviously, you know, I've been, I've been very, very vocal in, in, in the Remain movement ever since it's been a thing, you know. And part of the trouble with referendums is this. Um, we don't live in a direct democracy. We live in a representative democracy. The whole point is MPs are not delegates. We don't send them to enact our decisions. We send them to make decisions on our behalf, mm. right? That's the way it's supposed to work. Because at the end of the day, it's not that, you know, oh, the great, it's, you know, because this kind of sounds like a condescending attitude that, you know, the affairs of state are too complicated for the ordinary person to understand. No, the point is the affairs of state are too complicated for anybody to understand in their spare time, mm. right? That's why we employ people to understand them and they employ an entire army of civil servants to explain it to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. This shit's complicated, and these decisions need to be taken by people who are informed. We are not informed. Yeah. You know, the reading the Daily Mail does not count as informed. Reading the Guardian does not count as informed. You know, and spending your entire fucking life on BuzzFeed definitely doesn't count as informed. <laughs> So the point is, we are not in a position to make informed decisions. That's why we have a representative democracy. And that's why, ironically, it's always the really big stuff that they put to a referendum, which is the stuff that the general public are least qualified <laughs> to hold an opinion on. Well, you know, yeah. Like, so, like, thing, you know. I would Go agree on. with with the the brexit question if you like i yeah. do like i think something as intrinsic and complex and integrated and icky as our relationship with the eu uh i i agree i think that is a too complicated question for the general public to answer with a like a yes or no i think that's you know that has now played out that stands to you know it'll be written in the history yeah. books that it was too complicated and we never should have put it to a referendum however uh with the monarchy that is quite a simple uh, question. It's like, yeah, you know, do and and interestingly, like you mentioned about you know winding it down to Norway levels. Yeah, that's that would be my utopian scenario. Would be like, look, don't get rid of it. I accept it's part of our national identity, and there's some of you yeah. out there who want to run around and you know pretend it's the 17th century or whatever and wave <laughs> your flags. Great, have a fucking good time. Go and cosplay. Go and pay twenty quid to go into a theme park. But yeah. But I don't think we need to be spending and funding their like weird fucking PR departments and seeing no. pictures of Kate on the front of every newspaper every other day. Um, I, like I, I just don't think in a in a country that's sliding this aggressively into inequality that we need to have this like super privileged family with tens of millions of pounds. Like he's King Charles is a fucking billionaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's still getting us to write checks. Brim. 
It's just like, yeah, come on, lads, what are we doing? Car, I think getting us to pay for the coronation was... I mean, this is the other thing. Is that, you know, they, I don't know who their bloody advisors are, but they, you know, they're, 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 their PR is fucking woeful because it's like, you know, first of all, we find out we're paying for the coronation of the richest man in the country, you know. Um, yeah. You know, so first of all, you know, he's throwing a massive party for himself so that he can be awarded his special diamond hat, and we're paying for it. And then this announcement that, oh, and by the way, you're all supposed to take the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's just like, oh, do fuck off. You know, yeah. and I do that, you know, this stuff has to be held together with this sort of cod Harry Potter mumbo jumbo because reasons. But, you know, it's just, no. I mean, like, you know, it, 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 pay a bit of attention to what bloody century you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, yeah, like I said, I think the mistake they've made is confusing personal loyalty to the Queen to national devotion to the Crown. And these are not interchangeable concepts. No. And I think they're going to find that out in a bit. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I, I suspect that you, you, like me, are what you would call royal agnostic. I am neither in the God bless your majesty nor string the buggers up camp, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and in one respect, you know, because here's the thing, you know, the, the, the two words to say why, you know, when people say, why can't we have an elected head of state? The two words that really do for that argument are President Boris, you know, <laughs> but by the same token, the two words that very succinctly make the opposite case are King Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a bu bullet dodged, you know, um, at least as far as, you know, this guy isn't a rampaging fucking nonce, but, you know, it's as far as anybody <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, and, and of course this is, well, the whole thing is, it's just like, there's a play by Peter Barnes called The Ruling Class, which I think they made into a movie with Peter O'Toole. I saw a production of it in Liverpool back in the eighties with Tim McInerney, um, which is about, uh, there's this, uh, an, an old Duke wanks himself to death or basically dies in an act of, um, dies in an act of autoerotic stimulator. So, and, and so the dukedom falls upon his son who has been missing for years and they track him down. And essentially he's been on some kind of spiritual quest and now thinks he's Jesus. Right. right. So they drag him back to, you know, the, 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 the country seat and he's got hair down to his ass and he's wearing a kind of nighty and, and it's generally a mortifying embarrassment to everybody, despite the fact he's completely benign because he thinks he's Jesus. Right. And they try all kinds of therapies to snap him out of it. They eventually do with this rather brutal uh, therapy, managed to snap him out of it. So now he is, is, you know, in the second half of the play, the beard's gone, the hair's gone, and he's wearing a proper suit, and he's and he's, you know, referring to himself as, as, as you know, Lord whatever, and all is well, it's good. But of course, they've driven him completely mad to the point where he basically thinks he's Jack the Ripper and starts murdering women and like burying right. them in the. But none of this matters because he is behaving himself properly you know he, he is now observing that you know the correct social mores that befit his station so the family just cover up for the fact that you know, they've now got you know a garden full of corpses and you know that is really sort of illustrated with the sort of the official attitudes to sort of harry and andrew mm. which uh, andrew it would appear has been doing some genuinely very bad things with some genuinely very bad people but that doesn't matter because, you know, he still turns up and he still puts all the bleeding ermine on and he's still sort of observing the rules that befit his station. Harry fell in love with a strong-minded woman, decided he wasn't going to let them do to her what they did to his mum and fucked off. Yeah, and they hated. Harry is protecting his family. <laughs> yeah. But because he's essentially run off with a not entirely white strong-willed woman, 
now he's you know he's he's beyond the pale and you know he will never be spoken of in polite society again and it's it's almost like you know it's 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 almost parodic in the obviousness of of, of what people's friends i mean we're long overdue a proper conversation about class in this country because it has reasserted itself in the last 15 years or so to a really grotesque degree and i think people are mistaken about what class actually means i think when people think you refer to somebody's class you're talking it's a socio-economic descriptor you know it refers to what kind of job they've got how big their house is what kind of car they drive that's not what it means at all and we used to understand this it's basically a biological term mm. when people talk about class they mean it as literally as when they're talking about horses you know i mean when people say breeding now they think they mean the guy knows his way around a set of cutlery right but it used to be literally breeding as in he is the product of superior bloodlines right and this hasn't been really spoken out loud ever since the first world war Ever since the First World War, you're not really meant to say any of this shit out loud, that certain people are just inherently better than others, and that certain people are just inherently worse than others and less of less value than others. You're not really, they haven't really said that out loud since the First World War. And since the First World War, we've been pretending that class is, like I say, a socioeconomic descriptor. It's not. It's a biological term of reference. Yeah. And the, the people at the top end of this of, of the of the pyramid, if you like, have never really changed their minds about this. <laughs> yeah, you know, they've never really changed their minds about this. They still, I mean, you know, chippy plebs. We tend to get it asked about face. We tend to think the upper classes think they're better than us because they're rich. No, the upper classes think they're rich because they're better than us. Right. Their wealth is merely a manifestation of their superiority, but the point is that they are superior. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? I, of I course I've think... got more money than you. I'm a better class of person than you. I'm bound to have more money than you. Yeah. You know, and this, this again, I mean, this is somebody I was thinking about. You know, um, th there are different ways to respond to unearned privilege. You know, and I like to think, I think part of the reason that, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I, I try to be as staunch an ally as possible, despite having, you know, it, it's precisely because I know I've got all the advantages. It's precisely because I'm not only a cishet white guy, I'm a big, strong cishet white guy. I'm also, I like to think, quite a smart, big, strong cishet white guy. I was born holding all the cards, and I know that. And as such, I regard it as my job to try and, you know, protect them wherever possible, help out the people who were born with fewer cards in their hand than me. Because these are the two ways you can respond to unearned privilege. You can either go, okay, I've got all these advantages. I didn't do anything to earn them. I didn't do anything to deserve them. I've just got them. So it is therefore beholden upon me to use these privileges I've got to try and help other people. Because the other attitude you can take, and this is where you know, the Boris Johnsons and the David Camerons of the world go wrong, is you think to yourself, okay, I've got all these unearned advantages. I didn't do anything to deserve them. I've just got them. So that must mean I'm special. <laughs> that must mean I'm just better than everyone else. Yeah. Because look at all these advantages I've got. I didn't do anything to earn them. They're just mine. So that means I'm special and better. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And that is the other attitude to unearned privileges. And that is what you see in the British ruling classes in spades.
Yeah. This is why they sneer at the nouveau riche. This is why Alan Clark disparagingly wrote about Michael Heseltine and called him the sort of chap who buys his own furniture. Yeah. Because they genuinely think that inherited privilege is the only one that counts. Yeah. You know, they genuinely think that inherited money is the only real money. Because that is a sign of your superior bloodlines. Yeah. Any but it's interesting. Go, it's... Any pleb can go out and make money. Yeah. But we are the real, you know, we are the really special ones because we were born into it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, we are long overdue a proper conversation about what class actually means. You know, it's, it's interesting the way they actually use horse breeding terms to describe themselves. They talk, you know, because actually, you know, they talk about superior bloodlines and he comes from good stock. Yeah, and yeah. Did you ever hear a posh guy call a working class girl a filly? No. No, Philly means the daughters of the rich and privileged. That's that's what Philly means. You know really? what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So they use these. They, they actually use horse breeding techno uh, terminology to talk about themselves. You know, <laughs> horse breeding way, technology would have been like techno, horse breeding technology. Absolutely, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you know, one could argue that you know, and then of course the funny thing is, the rational thing is, on any kind of empirical level, you know, they, they're all you know genetically crippled from centuries of fucking each other's cousins, and then emotionally. <laughs> public school so in actual fact on a scientific level they're probably you know the least capable people that our society ever generates it's it's interesting isn't it like yeah because when they have this sort of su superiority complex and then you, you you take a look at them and you're like <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah well it's like white supremacists i'm, you know? I'm when superior did you, when did you ever look at a white supremacist thing oh yeah that's what supreme looks like yeah yeah wow <laughs> I, I wish I was a part of that master race over there. And they're just Absolutely. like, yeah, this is a guy who reckons he's genetically superior to Neil Tyson and Beyonce. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Uh, Mitch, we're, we're out of time. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, oh, guys, thank you. thank you. Give, give Mitch Ben a, a follow on Twitter. If you're not, uh, not doing so already. Have you got a website, Mitch? I've got MitchBen.com. Yeah. Mitch I ben. am the guy in the world to find online. Um, you know, my Twitter handle, Mitch Ben. My Facebook name, Mitch Ben. My website, MitchBen.com. My email, Mitch at MitchBen.com. <laughs> I like to be approachable, but it does mean you get approached. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, listen, guys, uh, don't be strangers to Mitch. Uh, jump on MitchBen.com. Um, have you got, have you got like work in progress shows lined up? Like, ahead oh, of well, I mean, yeah, I've got, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got, uh, shows, I forget where they are actually. I mean, I could look it up. Oh, I can't be bothered. I know I've got, I've got, we'll actually, just get the listeners to do it. They, yeah, they could do yeah, the hard exactly. work. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to put, I've got some dates coming in. I'm going to get a bump on MitchBen.com the minute I hang up. So they will be yeah. going to. But I do know I've got a preview for the Edinburgh show at Bed Fringe, the Bedford Fringe, on July 23rd. And yeah. then the Edinburgh show is, it's already on sale. It's got a name. It's got a title. I just have to write it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's called The Point. It's on at 4 p.m. at the Underbelly. And uh, that will be happening, uh, yeah, for the whole of August. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and now there's always to, and read my books, read my sci fi books. Search me out. You can get them on Amazon and anywhere else. They're called Terror, Terror's War, and Terror, uh, Terror, Terror's World, and Terror's War. That's my sci fi trilogy. Uh, particularly keen to get people to read those because it'd be lovely to be able to write books for a living. That'd be yeah. great. For Nah, that'd be fantastic. Then you just need like a, a hundred people who buy your books like once a year as well. That can like build well, up. Actually, your... or kind of like you know thirty or forty thousand people to buy your books once a year, and then you're laughing. But you know, <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, cool. Guys, jump onto MitchBen.com now. Um, check out his shows. Check out his books on Amazon. Um, I'll be back next Wednesday with the solo show, once again, trying to make sense of the senseless. Until next time, keep yourselves hashtag Binfluencer. Keep yourselves proper booge. We're out. Yo, yo, yo. This episode was powered by my Patreon backers over at patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Special shout outs to Bowman, Chris, David, Mojo Sabian, Pingu, T-Rex in a top hat, Aaron, Alex and Kai. Some of these names might not actually be the real names. Uh, Jeff, Peter, Sarah, Silent and Ailsa. And then Anthony, Eddie, Fat Shirley, Mal, Rodri, Stuart and Kerry. Thank you so, so much for continuing your support of the podcast. And I'm looking forward to catching up with each of you at the next London meet or the next gig. I don't know. Big doff of the cap to all of you. You give my funny boner funny boner. Cheers.